coming up on Pass the Secret Sauce. A couple of things that come to mind real quickly are people don't clean up their balance sheets. And so what do I mean by that? If you're an inventory intensive business and you've left a lot of inventory on your balance sheet that could be obsolete or slow moving, hasn't been sold in a long time, and you don't clean that up and do a physical inventory on a regular basis, that could be a real problem. Welcome to the show, I'm Matt Shields. On Pass the Secret Sauce, we unscramble the life stories, skills, and secrets from the most wicked smart minds and interesting people to uncover their experience and recipes for success that will help you get an edge on your own life. My goal is to help you rein in on the chaos that life throws at us by learning from other high achievers. If you're new to the show, we have episodes with founders, CEOs, investors, and leaders. So if you like to learn and are motivated to improve your life, then kick back and listen to our guests pass their secret sauce. Today on Pass the Secret Sauce, we have Dominic Rinaldi. Dominic is a managing partner of Sun Acquisitions, and Sun Acquisitions works with companies primarily in the two to $50 million uh, space scale and position their companies to be acquired. So if you're someone who's already established, if you already have a business that is up and running and you want your, your, your end goal is to sell that company, uh, this episode might be something that you want to, to listen in on. Dominic breaks down some of the problems that he sees many entrepreneurs, many company owners making that quite literally can cost millions upon millions of dollars with the the end value of that company. So Dominic's advice in this episode is incredibly, incredibly valuable to be able to, again, be able to position yourself for a a successful exit, a successful profitable exit, which is obviously what everyone is looking to do. Uh, Dominic is also uh, an author, speaker, and he has his own podcast called the M&A Unplugged Podcast, and M&A obviously stands for Mergers and Acquisitions. So with that, I hope you enjoy today's episode with Dominic Rinaldi on Pass the Secret Sauce. So I grew up in New York City uh, in the early 1960s to a pretty large Italian family. And uh, dinner table was an interesting uh, part of our day. It was robust with lots of food, lots of family. It was fun. I was actually just having this conversation with one of my kids the other day. And I said how much I enjoyed that time of my life and looking back on that and how special some of those moments were. Yeah. You don't realize it when you're in the moment, but, but yeah, when you reflect back, that's, that's when all the magic moments start to, to appear. Wait, oh, how many kids or how many siblings did you have? I have, I have two. There's three of us total. Yeah. Very cool. Very cool. Excellent. So did you, were you an entrepreneur growing up or did it, did it hit you at some point, you know, later on in life when you uh, wanted to, to start your own company? I was not an entrepreneur growing up, but I was always entrepreneurial. I was always hustling, 
I always had multiple jobs, even, mm-hmm. even in high school. I remember I would, so I could have the car, drop my dad off at the train station at 5.30 in the morning. I would go and clean office buildings. I'd go to school, have whatever sporting practice I had after school, football or whatever it was, go to a job after that and then pick up my dad at the train station when he got off the train. And so I was always hustling, always trying to figure out, you know, what I could do to make money and, and always enjoyed trying new things. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and so now today that that's led you into mergers and acquisitions. Can you talk a little bit about how you got into that business? What was, what was the catalyst to, to deliver you to that? Yeah, I was actually one of my clients 17 years ago. And what I mean by that is I found myself in transition and not knowing what I wanted to do next, but knowing that I wanted to do it for myself. Mm -hmm. I had the itch for many years to own my own business and worked for venture capital backed companies, corporate America, you know, had done a lot of things, traveled the world. And I thought at that point in time in my early forties, it was a good time for me to make an investment in myself and my future. And so I went out to look at buying a business Mm -hmm. And in the process at looking at my options and exploring it and working with people like myself and what I do, over the course of probably six or nine months, I came to the realization that I thought I could really help people buy and sell businesses. And so I bought a small firm Mm -hmm. uh, that was doing that. And here we are 15 years later with, we're closing in on 400 successful wow. transactions and so it's been a it's been a great ride. Yeah, that's fantastic. So talk a little bit about your I guess your idea of purchasing a a an existing business rather than starting one fresh from from scratch. I mean, obviously entrepreneurialism it's you know it's the buzzword today and everybody says I got to start my own business. So that's starting fresh. What what you know, what are some of the the challenges or the I guess the the uh, benefits to purchasing something that's already existing. You know, I, I, at the time, didn't think I had a unique enough concept or anything that I could go do that would be the next better bread box. Mm-hmm. And so anything that I started, somebody else was already doing. And I, I referenced, I was in my early 40s. I had a, what I call a train the pole, two young kids, lots of obligations, And I didn't want to take three or four years trying to ramp something up and figuring it out from scratch. Mm -hmm. And I thought that buying a business that had a track record, employees, a success track record that that I could point to, historical financials that I could see and then model off of, I thought that was a better path for me and a safer bet. It's more expensive to do that. You know, you're, you're having to spend more money to buy an existing business. But at the end of the day, it was, it was a safer bet for me. I probably, trying to start from scratch, would have spent much more money mm-hmm. in the long run versus just buying something that was already existing. Yeah. So you, so you basically, you're, you're capitalizing on all of the marketing and all of the advertising and name recognition and branding that they've generated over... X number of years of already being in business. So you're, you're kind of starting in the middle rather than 
starting now at the bottom and yeah all that momentum and the cash flow that goes with that momentum so it's an ongoing concern they've got clients money's coming in the door you're not having to go start from scratch and and figure it out so i knew i'd have money to service debt maybe pay myself a little bit of something until i could could grow it to be much bigger. Mm-hmm. Now, do most of the people that you are working with currently, are they coming in with cash to buy these businesses? Or is this something where, you know, maybe they have investors who are backing them or or they've gone to the bank and and you know leverage some other type of collateral? How does how does that transfer typically happen with uh, the people that you're selling and and representing, I guess, bringing them opportunities to be able to buy business today? So maybe uh, the place to start to answer that question is to talk about the types of buyers that I work with. Mm-hmm. And then the answer will be the same for all of them. But we work with buyers who are high net worth individuals, small investor groups, companies who want to grow through acquisition, and then institutional investors, uh, what we call professional money, private equity groups, and family offices. So we work with the gamut of buyers. And what I will tell you is that almost across the board, they all want access to bank money to to buy a business. If somebody has $3 million, they don't want to use all $3 million to buy a business. They'd rather use a half a million, Mm -hmm. leverage the bank's money, especially at today's interest rates, keep two and a half million in the bank and then go grow the business from there. And so, yes, they take on debt, but it's especially today's interest rates, a much cleaner path uh, for folks to buy businesses. So I rarely, if ever, see somebody write a check to buy a business, whether they have $3 million or 300 million under under contract, they want to leverage that asset. That makes sense. That makes sense. And and are you are you dealing in any type of verticals or silos or anything like that? Or are you pretty well, you know, you you deal across a number of different types of companies and verticals? Yeah, not at not at this point in time. Uh, so I'm I'm blessed to have 15 people at this point in time. All of them have different areas of specialty, mm-hmm. and so we cover just about every vertical there is with the exception of agriculture and energy. Those are two uh, sectors that we don't do anything in and and probably restaurants other than if it's a really large restaurant operation, mm-hmm. but we've done transactions in every other sector. Oh, that's excellent, yeah. So, so now when you're saying that you have 15 people, I, I'm assuming that that means you've got, you know, 15 different groups that have their focus or have their, you know, their lanes that they're looking for yeah, at least in my experience, when when you've when we've dealt with private equity or you know any type of family offices, they have their niche that they mm-hmm. you know that they focus in on, and those are the the types of businesses that they would feel comfortable you know investing in. Normally, they've made their money in those types of businesses or those types of backgrounds, so they want to keep deploying capital in that. Is that yeah. is that pretty well the same thing that that you find? No, what I what I mean by that is I have fifteen advisors, and so uh, we cover different. They all cover different sectors. And some of them will cover multiple sectors easily because at the end of the day, the process of buying or selling a business, whether you're in manufacturing or distribution, it's really not, the process is not much different. Mm -hmm. The things that change from sector to sector are how you value a business in that sector. 
and where you go find the buyers potentially for that sector. But the steps in the process, pretty much the same regardless of the sector. Yeah, got it. So are, do you help people that are also selling their business, I guess, design it to be sold? I, you know, I don't, I'm not quite sure how to, how to phrase that, but you yeah. know, basically just make sure that everything's aligned and, and easy for someone to, to come in and you know, do the due diligence on the, you know, on the business. Yeah. Um, do you help align that as well? So it's a great question. My core business, Sun Acquisitions, we help sellers sell their businesses and buyers buy. So we'll represent buyers or sellers. We just launched a new business earlier this year where we're actually helping people prepare for an acquisition or a sale. Either way, it's called K2 Advisor. Advisor is with an E at the end. The reason we started this new business was because after doing this for 15 years, the one big thing that I see time and time again is people just don't really prepare mm -hmm. for an acquisition or a sale. Mm -hmm. Virtus Technology is a custom business software solution provider. Are you tired of manual entry into an old system that creates more work than it helps? Does your company suffer from constant pain and frustration around its business processes? Do you spend a lot of time and money trying to hunt information down or figure out what is happening in your business? Virtus Technology can help solve all of this. We evaluate your current processes and then create custom software or mobile apps to automate and streamline your business process, eliminating a lot of those pains and frustrations. Unlike other systems, our goal is to digitize your current processes and systems so that your staff's learning curve is very small. If you're ready to take your business operations to the next level, give Virtus Technology a call today. Sometimes they think they did, but there's so much that goes into being really prepared. So you can either maximize your return uh, or minimize your end or minimize your risks. Mm -hmm. And so, yes, we're moving in that direction to help people do that more often. Yeah, that makes that makes perfect sense. I've seen a lot of companies, and so so we have a technology company as well, and, and we we build softwares for for companies. And sometimes companies are actually coming to us to build software to for acquisition, basically to you know tie all their processes and systems together to make it a little bit more cohesive. In your experience, is that something that a lot of people do, or is that have we just been lucky with with companies that are you know looking for that that type of a I guess a, a process flow design that that you know brings all of their systems all of their functionality all into one you know one piece of software so you know again everything's managed all in one place yeah so i work in the marketplace that's largely enterprise values or of 30 million or less so these are companies that may have 50 60 million in annual revenues or less and enterprise values are 30 million and less and i have to say that i don't see a lot of that okay. um I don't see a lot of sophistication in that way. A lot of people haven't built out their systems. They haven't brought it all together. There, there's something that we refer to in our business called value drivers. Mm -hmm. And these are the core components that go into valuing a business. And this is one of them, you know, having your operations, you know, in order mm -hmm. and so important. And I have to say, more often than not, I, I see that it's not. 
Yeah. Any, any thoughts on what that valuation, you know, again, if you had your processes and systems, you know, really documented, what, what type of a difference does that make in the valuation of, of the business? Is there, is there much of a, a difference? Like it's, again, say, say the, the, the revenue is the same, the top line revenue is the same, but you had one company that you know, was process oriented, documented systems in place, mm-hmm. and you had one that wasn't, obviously you're probably going to have a lot more commotion over here in this one. There's going to be a lot more time and a lot more frustration getting to that end result than what this one has. But, you know, is there, is there any type of a tangible valuation difference between the two of them that, that there, you there should, there should, the short answer is there absolutely should be. And so think of it from a buyer's perspective. When a buyer is looking at a business, one of the things that they're analyzing when they're looking at it is how easy can I transition this business to the new management, into my existing operation, me personally, how, how easy can I transition in? And is there a roadmap there? Mm-hmm. And to the extent that there isn't a roadmap and there aren't operations manuals and it's not all documented, the risk level goes up for a buyer. So once the risk level goes up, valuations go down. Mm-hmm. Whereas if you can turn key the operation of the business to the new owner and they've got the roadmap, you as the former owner don't need to be there because they've got the roadmap. And I say that you might need to be there for some other things like client transitions and things that aren't in the manual. But if it's all documented, it's much easier and the risk level has gone way down. Yeah, no, that makes perfect sense. Can you talk a little bit about what types of things and i guess there's a two-part this is a two-part question if i'm if i'm say we'll say newer in business and my goal is to sell this business what can i start doing today to start preparing for that that sale obviously documentation processes and systems that's part of it are there other things that you can talk about that would go into setting myself up for a successful sale five ten years down the road even Yeah, so I follow a framework for this. And my framework is three legs of a stool. And the first leg of the stool is, is the owner personally ready from a financial perspective to move out of the business? Mm -hmm. And so what I mean by that is, is there a state in order? Are all the documents in place? Have they done everything they need to do on the personal side? Uh, Maybe some tax mitigation or minimization things that you can do from a legal or accounting perspective. Have you done all these things so that you know you're personally ready? The other thing that goes into that is, do you need the sale of the business to fund whatever it is you're going to do next? Mm-hmm. Or do you have enough money and the, and the money from the business sale is just going to be gravy? It's a really important thing to understand because if you need a certain amount of money, well, then when we get to the second leg of the stool, the test is, is the business ready? Mm-hmm. So is the business at a value that will satisfy your personal readiness? Are the value drivers of the business in order? And the value, we talked about one of them. Uh, and another example of a value driver is uh, the owner of the business. How much are they the business? Mm-hmm. Some owners, especially in this sub 30 million of enterprise value, you, you wind up seeing that they do the sales or they're an integral part of the operation. Mm-hmm. And the more they are, the lower the value. So here's a good example of if you give yourself a couple of years, 
you could sort of work your way or wean the business off of the dependence on you mm -hmm. and increase the value. Yeah. And there are about 10 to 12 of these value drivers that we put people through in addition to understanding the value of the business. And then the last leg of the stool is such an important one, but so often overlooked, and that is the owner's emotional readiness. Mm -hmm. Are they really emotionally ready to let go? Will they be emotionally ready in two or three years from now? And my litmus test for that typically is, does the owner have something in their life outside of their work and their business that's going to pull them out of the business? Mm -hmm. A retirement home, grandkids, travel, whatever it is. And if they don't, then that is something they probably need some time to work on. Mm -hmm. I'll, I'll put a bow on all of this by saying that uh, I was at a conference a couple of years ago and the folks that ran the conference did a quick study and they found that 75% of business owners were remorseful about selling their business. Yeah. It had nothing to do with how much money they received for the business. It had everything to do with the owners didn't have the next thing to go do in their life. Yeah, sure, and, sure. And so I see it a lot. I hear it a lot. I have some personal friends who have sold their business and they're going through it. So those three legs of the stool should be analyzed and looked at. And I think as you were pointing out, at least a couple of years before, if not the day you buy or start a business, because the exit from your business may be at a date of your choosing and it may be at a date that you didn't anticipate because of some life event. Yeah, sure. No, that's, that's always, I think that that's probably the biggest struggle of anybody. You know, I mean, these businesses are like people's babies, you know, their kids mm -hmm. and, you know, people don't understand that if they haven't done it before, but it really is, you know, stepping away from something like that and just saying, okay, I'm done. You know, that's, right. it, it's difficult to be able to separate that. No, that's, that, that, that's great advice. Are you able to talk about some of the, the challenges that you've seen people get put into, you know, because they, they didn't go through some of this documentation process or they didn't have their business in a, uh, a state when they went to, to go sell the company. I'm, I'm assuming that there's, you know, sometimes they're not able to find a buyer. They're not able to, you know, or, or sell the business for, you know, what they think that it's worth. Can you talk a little bit about some of the challenges that, that people have had you know, when they try to go sell their, their company without having the proper framework set up, formation? Yeah. Yes, yeah. yeah. You know, there's so many. We, we could sit here and talk all day. A couple of things that come to mind real quickly are people don't clean up their balance sheets. Mm -hmm. And so what do I mean by that? If you're an inventory intensive business and you've left a lot of inventory on your balance sheet that could be obsolete or slow moving, hasn't been sold in a long time, and you don't clean that up and do a physical inventory on a regular basis, that could be a real problem. And I'll, I'll point to an example that is a very harsh example, but it's a real example. We represented a client some time ago who never did a physical, they never did a physical inventory and they had something like 7,500 SKUs. Wow. And we had a lot of buyers on this business. It was a pretty significant size business. It had been around, started in the early 1950s. Great business, great owners, tremendous owners, salt mm -hmm. of the earth. But they knew their business. 
but they never really took physical inventories and the, and the balance sheet, you know, it sort of tied out, but the buyer didn't have a ton of confidence. Mm -hmm. And so while we were in diligence, the buyers got to a certain point and they said, you know, guys, we do, we believe all of this, we trust you, but we have a bank that's requiring that we really make sure that these numbers all foot. And so we need to ask you to do a physical. And then once you do the physical inventory and clean up your balance sheet, we're going to then do a quality of earnings, which is pretty typical mm -hmm. on larger deals. And once we do the quality of earnings, then we should be able to, you know, really establish what the numbers are. Great. So as you can imagine, when a company that size takes a long time to do a physical inventory, it took at least 30 days. Then the quality of earnings followed, which then took another 30 days. So we had a 60-day delay that got put into this process. The crazy part about that is when the financials were done and, and, and they all got footed, we weren't off by very much at all. Oh, really? Oh, wow. It was, it was a rounding error for the most part. So this goes to show you how well the owners knew their business, mm -hmm. but how uncomfortable the buyers and their bank was because they hadn't done physical inventories. The balance sheets were get some, you know, not total guesswork, but, you know, they were piecing it together. The deal was, you know, marching along, the bank got comfortable, we were going to move towards the closing table, it would have maybe taken another 30 or 45 days. And it was probably a week or two later, I got a phone call about five o'clock at night, I'll never forget, I was walking in my house, and one of my advisors said, turn on the TV to any local news channel, I did, and our client's facility was on fire. Oh my God. And burnt to the ground. Wow. And the business was immediately not sellable. Yeah. And these guys had worked so long and so hard and it was a meaningful, I mean, these guys were going to be set for life. Yeah. Many times over. And here we had this Oof. building burnt yeah. down to the ground because they hadn't done this work up front. And uh, what a shame. I mean, it's a long story, but it, it, and I could give you many more that may, are probably not as harsh as that, but it really, I think, highlights the importance of prepare your house. Just mm -hmm. like when you're going to sell a piece of real estate, you stage it, you clean it up, you maybe you make some repairs, you paint it, whatever you do, your business is no different. Mm -hmm. And it's typically your largest transaction in your lifetime. So you should spend some time preparing it. Yeah, sure. Absolutely. No, this is fantastic, Dominic. I could go on forever talking about these different strategies and and tips to be able to make these businesses better. But if someone wanted to reach out and learn more about you or your company, how would they, what would be the best way to do that? Would you say? Yeah. So uh, I'd say the best way is to, you can reach out to me directly at Dominic, a K2 advisor. That's D-O-M-E-N-I-C at K and the number two advisor and advisor is with an E.com. Uh, I'd also offer Matt that we have some free assessments on our website. A seller can take an assessment and a buyer can take an assessment. And in five to seven minutes on a scale of zero to 100, they'll know how prepared their, their business is for sale or how prepared they are to buy something. And we email the results. They get everything after they take the assessments. I love it. I love it. This is fantastic. Dominic, thank you for sharing some of the knowledge about your mergers and acquisition experience. And 
hopefully this helps some of our uh, budding entrepreneurs set themselves on the right path to you know having some successful exits here in the future. So certainly appreciate it. Matt, I really enjoyed being here. That was a great interview. Nice job. Really yeah. appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks for listening. And remember, pass the secret sauce.